it wasn't enjoyable at all. The only part that was enjoyable was I had one good year in the NFL that was with the Patriots. I played 10 years. And looking back on it, it was only one enjoyable. But you was a pro yeah. bowler. Yeah, but even the pro bowl wasn't enjoyable. <laughs> they didn't give me the ball. Like, I'm like, I'm like you know, you would you do it? Would you do it all over again? Football? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with playing football. Like, I don't feel like it was a bad thing. I just feel like what happened was my brother, what you want to say? I was just going to say, that's on you. If you're in the league making money, playing a kid's game, making millions of dollars, you're not enjoying it, that's on you, bro. That's so, on, that's you. No, I'm saying in totality. You enjoy moments, but like, we think about how stressful football life is. You know, constantly, you know, you never at a place of peace in football, on a football team. Mm -hmm. you, there's no such thing as peace, right? You always performing at the highest, even in the, the classrooms, even in a, on the field, even outside of the game, you have to, like, you know how to do it. And there's enjoyable moments of playing the game. You have moments of it, but like, as in totality, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you go to theme park, people think of, I don't think of theme parks being that enjoyable all the time because half the time you're just standing in the sun. The ride is fun. Getting on the but ride. But waiting is in fun. line, but waiting in most of your time, the line is how long is the ride? 15, 20 seconds? Yeah. How long were you waiting in the line? So a lot football is a lot like that. You have these moments where it's just like, man, that was awesome. But then the majority of the time, if you really think about it, like the pain, the 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 politics, it just wasn't freeing. Right, it wasn't playful anymore. It was what it was. Hold up, limitless. Take a stomach cap, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust, limitless. Take a stomach cap, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. We appreciate you letting us into your space, especially knowing that you built everything in here. So everything in here is a part of who Martellus Bennett is. And Martellus Bennett is for sure a very layered human. Um, I'm, not, I'm not going to start in the place where everybody else knows you. Obviously, father, husband, brother, son, artist, author, now we know builder. Um, I think, and that's the reason we're here, man. That's the reason it's, it's the pivot. Obviously, we got Channing, Freaky Fred, I'm RC. Welcome to the pivot. Uh, this is actually Fred's line. I just use it all the time. Uh, we do a show, right? And anybody can podcast, but not everybody can pivot. Shout out to DraftKings. Uh, happy that, obviously, our sponsors, man. Like, I want to get into it because we've been having conversations uh, before this show started that already let us know why we wanted to be here. But I want to start kind of from the beginning. Pops is from Louisiana, which is important to me because... Uh, that's, what, that's where I'm from. My pops lived in Louisiana, moves to San Diego. He has Martellus Bennett, and for a lot of your early life, it was just your father and you guys. What was that like growing up? Oh, it was cool. I think my dad, the one thing I appreciate, I learned how to be a dad from my dad. Like, there were so many things. I thought my dad was an excellent dad, and there's so many things now I try to do with my, my daughter, you know, just like traditions and like, you know, Saturdays. Like, my dad's an IT guy, so I grew up building computers with my dad on, like I used to, he worked at Dryers too, so I used to sell ice cream. Um, so he used to do IT at Dryers ice cream. So me and my dad, we spent a lot of time together. Like I was played in the adult league when I was 13, 14 on his team. So I was always with my dad fishing or doing whatever it is that my dad was doing, I was always there. But he knew we needed a mom because you know he only could do so much. So he married my mom. My mom's 
been my mom for uh, all my all of my life, pretty much, you know. So, um, and she brought in the discipline, you know, uh, side of it. So, like, my dad was like the fun dad, was a disciplinarian as well, because he we grew up. I'm a Navy brat, so I was yeah. born on a ship and in San Diego and all these things. So I'm pretty strict, but also pretty free. And my mom's a teacher, so she was very much more like straight lined and, you know, with the way that she thought things should go. So it was a good balance. How does that atmosphere work when you're raising two boys? And, you know, I'm sure there were times where people probably thought you and your brother were twins just because you were so close in age and, and so tight. I was actually reading a story uh, to where your brother was, I think he had appendicitis or his appendix burst or something like mm -hmm. that. And he had to have all these surgeries. And you basically said, he was like, I don't really have a lot of friends. Like I never, I never needed friends. And that, that affected you greatly. What was it like growing up with Michael and having somebody that's so tight to you like that? Uh, me and my brother talk every day to this day. Like if I don't talk to him, I'll be like, dang, I ain't talked to Michael today. You know, he lives in Hawaii, he's been living in Hawaii, so the time difference sometimes we'll miss each other. But like most majority, we talk four or five times a, a day throughout the day. But and I have a hard time having friends because my brother was my best friend. So my view of a friendship is a brotherhood that can't be broken by anything, right? Me and my brother, we've been through a lot of things. That's why I went to AM, because he was at AM. We were roommates in college. My first year really being separate, uh, separated from my brother was when I went to the NFL my rookie year, which was my hardest year, even though he's still at AM. It was just the first time where we just wasn't in the same space. Because even when he went to a and I was my senior year in high school, he was still be, I would still go see him on the weekends. We'll still see each other. I'm at school. We're playing games or whatever. So we had this relationship of push and pull, where we're always pushing each other because we understand the goals that we want to achieve in life. So we're always pushing each other. But we also pull each other back when it's like, hey, that's a little bit too far. And it's like having someone that you could always depend on right, to be unbiased, but same time be biased because they want the best for you. And um, that's what I thought friendship should be and what I, I thought friendships always were. I mean, when I, as I grew up, I realized that's just not what friendships. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come to be? Like the whole thing, the, the story of it. Like you said, being, it's, you had a single father. At first. At did. first, yeah, you had yeah, a single first, father. Yeah, my mom, my it's, mom. it's usually a single mother. Like I, I just, I did the single father thing. Yes. How different is that? My birth mother and my dad, they got pregnant very young. My birth mother, 16, my dad, my dad's 56, I'm 35. My dad, 17, 18, when he has his kids. Uh, so it's six of us. My mom came around when I was like nine or 10. So like I've always, my most of my memories are with two parents, mm -hmm. more so than just my dad. I think it's intriguing to me, the most things I talk to my dad about it, I think the most intriguing thing about it is that time period was where it wasn't like um, a big thing if a man left the household. Right. And didn't have the kids, especially in this time period, you know, and that's rooted in psychology from deep, deep rooted psychology in our community and the culture. But like he did a good he did a good job. I think parents get a little too much credit sometimes, too, because we be out there. We have to make decisions when we're not in the house. Yeah. <laughs> my dad was a dad like my dad was like, I'll tell you what, in eighth grade, we uh, seventh grade, eighth grade, me and Michael both play football and you have one with the same school. So seventh grade is even playing at home or eighth grade is away. Right, so one thing that I just tell you the type of parents I have, just to talk about parenthood, um, give you a couple of examples. Um, Michael would play at the other team and I would be here. My parents would go to both games where my mom would start at Michael's until halftime and then my dad would start at mine until halftime and then they would switch so they could see both, both games. Yeah. I grew up playing in the symphony. So I grew up playing the trombone. I was first sherry, so I was compete. I was a mathlete too. 
And um, <laughs> did you just say mathlete? Yeah, I was a mathlete. Don't say mathlete no more. You're too goddamn the, big to use that phrase. That's what it was called. Mathlete. Yeah, mathlete, where you go to competitions and compete in math. I know what it is. Yeah. I was a mathlete. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think more kids should be mathletes, right? Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, the, like, 84% of black boys are behind in math by the time they graduate. They're not fluent in math. Like, it's just, it's a whole thing. But my parents used to be at the competitions, at the mathlete competitions, the same way they would be at the football game or the basketball game. So my parents are, like, the one thing I really learned about my parents is, um, my dad is to be there, right? No matter what your kids are doing, just to be there. Mm-hmm. And, um... And I, this is my senior year, I was in the NBA draft and I was playing, I was balling. And my dad, after Enron crashed, I'm an Enron kid, so after Enron crashed, my dad lost his job, just like a lot of other parents lost their job. That's when I decided I would never work for anybody. But he had to take a job in Chicago. But it was during my, season, my senior year of basketball and I was killing it. It's like, oh, I have 40, I had 35. I'm in the NBA draft, I gotta start you know, talking to NBA teams, I'm going to different places. He, he showed up to the game, he's like, oh, I quit my job, I couldn't miss the year. I love that though. Man. So you're in the draft. You don't get an agent, right? Because mm-hmm. that way you could allow yourself uh, to go back to school. What's that process like? And you say your father quit his job to be there during that. What was his part in that process of you trying to figure out, okay, I'll go to the draft if this, or I'll play basketball if this, and if not, I'll go back to school to Texas A&M. It was cool, because without an agent, you need some type of leadership in that role. like. Uh, you know, someone that's with you, whether it's your mom or your dad. So, like, when I was at the workouts, my dad would be at the the workouts and take me to all the workouts, sit in the meetings with me, and we'll have discussions about, like, yo, I, this is what I thought. And then also, like, things that I want to work on, like the stuff that coaches would bring up, I'll go home and work on that. Like, we didn't do this, because my thing was I was a two-guard, but I was also big. I was 6'7", 240 in high school, so I could guard a guard, but also play guard, you know, play guard down low. And I remember being in, working out for the Supersonics, and I got hot. I went, we do this little drill. I shoot like 80, I hit like 86 out of 100 shots, right? Just like all around the court. Then I start smiling. My dad looked at me like, I missed like three in a row. He's like, what you doing? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And, um, but I remember like the looking at the guards, they're doing these two ball drills. I had never seen anyone dribble two balls at the same time as a drill. So after I left the Supersonics, I would wear my Supersonic stuff to school, of course, you know what I'm saying? Cause you know, I'll play, I'll work out for a team and go play on Friday, you know, like in a, take my NBA skills and do it in the high school game. So I'm actually killing everybody now. So, so I used to always wear the stuff on campus after uh, I came back from a trial. But I remember sitting in with Nate McMillan and, um, and talking to him and about just things in my game and what they thought was good. And so my dad and I, we went to all these different places. I was working out for the Spurs and somebody got sick and they, we needed, we wanted to run this drill, but we needed six people. And it was like, ah, oh, we need somebody to stand in. I don't know why this dude had, he had tearaway sweats on, cause my dad could hoop hoop, right? <laughs> Tore sweats off, right? <laughs> Two little uh, quad stretches, like I'll do it. He comes in, this dude hitting threes after three after three after three. I'm like, yo, dad, I had to punch him inside. Like, dad, I'm trying now. Like, this the play, like, you know what I'm saying? To this day, like, there's still this play where he did this, like, we ran this drill where he'll come off the pick and I come off the back pick and he'll throw me oop. So I go hoop with him today. He's like. San Antonio, San Antonio. I'm like, Dad, I ain't jumping. <laughs> he he won't run a set. He won't run a, Every time I go play basketball with him, he called a play. San Antonio, San Antonio. I'm like, Dad, I'm not running that play right now. I just got out here. So it's not worth it. I'm not ducking today. Oh, layup. He called it every single game. So he got in. He played well. So that draft was interesting. Uh, worked out for the Grizzlies. Worked out with a lot of teams. It was fun. I, I ultimately decided not to go. My mom wanted me to go to college. 
she thought it was important for me, not just like education, but she knew I love education and she wanted me to grow as a human. Cause like college is really where you learn to be a, a adult, you know, and it's like, well, you gotta go get that badge though. I still got, the, I was gonna get the bag regardless. You know, I had, you know, basketball wasn't the only option I had, you know, as a kid. And it was, I was gonna go to college and play basketball for one year and then come back to the NBA draft the next year. But then my brother was playing football. And then I was like, well, how many times do you just get to play football with your brother in college? So I was like, I'll just play both sports. So I played football and basketball in college. That's crazy. Now, before we dive in deep and get to football, let's stay with basketball for a minute. You tweeted, sometimes you got to punch a teammate <laughs> in the face and sometimes you don't. Yes, that's true. Talk on the heels of Draymond it's Green. Not, Elaborate on that. It's not true. Now, I want to hear it. He I'm not saying that, that what Draymond did was, right, I don't know the full story of like, if it's a like, I just feel like if I'm gonna punch somebody in the face, then there's a good reason why I'm punching somebody in the face. Right, like I'm not just gonna punch somebody over no bullshit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I studied a samurai philosophy where you cut the man down, right? So for me, I think it just all depends on the scenario, right? And the problem I think that people have is that intent, right? Some people's intent are not the, isn't the same as your intent. When you're pushing somebody, shoving somebody, Jiving with somebody, talking jokes, telling jokes. So everybody don't play the same way. Yeah. So, and I haven't met a lot of people. There's a couple of people that I know that nine times out of 10, if they say they're gonna slap you, they're probably gonna slap you. Mm-hmm. It's me, Jay Ratliff, and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> if it's coming, it's coming. I'm not saying you should no. just punch people. I'm saying if, if, it's, if it's warranted, if it's a situation in which I need to. It, what you don't need, it's 2022. MB, you can't touch nobody. I tell my kids all the time, don't touch nobody. I, tell I don't my, give a damn what they do. You can't touch nobody. I tell my daughter, day. somebody invades your space, protect yourself. I buy my wife a pocket knife. I buy a pocket a, knife. A, a blade. <laughs> you know how hard it is to be a woman outside in today's society? But you see the news? Like I try to teach my daughter how to defend herself. I teach my daughter how to no, Draymond was not defending himself. No, I'm not, I'm Draymond just, that's fired why I'm, off. No, he fired off. I'm saying like, I'm saying there's, I'm not talking about Draymond. I'm not like, yeah. that's just yeah. Oh a, no, protection, I'm saying that. Yeah, but, yeah, but I'm just no. saying in generality, I believe there's certain times, whether it's a teammate, a cousin, or whoever it is, sometimes you just have to put your hands on them. Kyle Fuller, <laughs> back in the day of practice? I told Kyle Fuller, Kyle Fuller just was the, it wasn't Kyle Fuller's fault. That's why I didn't punch him. I told him I could be punching you right now, but I'm not punching you. When he went, he went low on you yeah. in, a, in a scrimmage. I can't even remember what it was that made you suplex him. It was just part of the the day, mm-hmm. right? He was just part of the a big part of what was happening in the day. And he was just the last. It was the last straw. Right. So like another big old dark skinned dude picking on a little light skinned guy. What it's kind of like what does the color of his skin? It's like, it's like, it's like I was the same. Don't diminish us light skinned. It's like the, it's like the same situation though. Funk, right. Not, he said like you know Draymond. It's not the, let me, tell you why it's Jordan. Not the, I'm tell you why it's not the same situation, right? I play a violent sport, right? Yeah. Where you could get your neck broken in a moment someone treats you the wrong way on the practice field. There's a there's an integrity that comes with the game and a respect that comes with the game with the way we practice, and especially when we practice against teammates. There's an expectation, right? If that expectation has been violated multiple times, you tell the authority, hey, this is happening, this is happening. And he thinks that because you're bigger than whoever is on the defense and they're doing it, hey, these guys are just playing hard, you can take it. After a while, you gotta take, and you tell the coach, look coach, either you do something about it or I do something about it. If I have to do something about it, you're not gonna like what I have to do. I give you multiple opportunities to do something about it and you have not stepped up to the plate. So now I have to take charge 
to protect myself because the authorities in this facility aren't protecting me. So this is how I protect myself. Something happened to me, and then the problem is what they weren't, they say that I fight with intent. Yeah, I fight with intent. I train to fucking, I'm not going, I'm not a push and shove guy, mm. right? I don't want to, I'll just look like I want to fight and look like I'm angry. If I'm angry, if I'm, if I'm coming towards you and I say I'm going to slap you, nine times out of 10, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. So right. like, all I'm saying is if I tell upstairs, downstairs, and it happened multiple times and no one, you don't feel protected, then you have to go to the, to, to, to the point where you're protecting yourself. Yeah. And I think that you can't really depend on people to protect you. Right? Like, you know, and some people act a certain way because they feel protected by their environment. Mm. Oh, we could do this and do this because we got coaches around. Nah. Cause if they weren't around, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a thing. So I'm not saying that, like I teach my daughter, I teach my wife, I told my wife the other day, like, hey, baby, you need to learn how to use these swords. You know what I'm saying? Like swords. I have swords. I'm like, I have nunchuck swords. I use all types of different martial arts and weapons because I don't believe that a samurai should favor one weapon over another weapon. To be You're a samurai? I'm training to be one. I'm studying like, samurai philosophy. Like a samurai, like a, a true samurai. Like sneaky. You big as shit. How you gonna sneak up on somebody? You seven seven. I don't need a sneak. I'm not. I don't need what, a snack. Like <laughs> See, that's like the samurai don't sneak attack. Uh huh. You should. We don't stab a man in the back. We only face face to face. We don't die with our back towards the person that we're battling. So we're not dying running away. Right. So it's just like our practices, and it's not about like being violent. And the same. The reason the samurais are also. The reason why they had the Shinto gardens and all the beauty that's planted around, they were poets at the same time. So I think a lot of times when we think of warriors, we only think about violence, 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 especially an American idea of warriors. But I think the warrior, I think the good thing is knowing that you can cut a man down, but having the self-discipline to not cut a man down. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right? That's more power than someone who always has to try to cut someone down. Yeah. Right? Because they don't have fully control of their abilities or their mind or their self. Right? You know, there's times where you feel like you have to cut a man down, like I said. Like, there's times where you have to punch a man, but then there's other times where you don't. There's plenty of times at practice where I didn't do anything about what was happening. But then there's a, get to a point of time, it's like, all right, it's time for me to cut somebody down. Wow, that's crazy. All of us coming together. Because I was reading somewhere you talked about, you know, psychology, psychology of a sport football, you're developing this angry mindset. And it starts when you sign up, your parents hand in that, that permission slip, yep. and, and now they've traded off your identity, and then it eventually evolved to that. Is studying the samurai, you talk about gardens, you were telling us before we got here, you're building gardens, you're doing this and that. Is that how you find your peace these days? That's part of it. Go back to like the psychology of it. So. There's this idea, what happens to athletes is that when we begin playing the sport at a young age, it becomes our identity. It's how we identify ourselves. Like, we run fast, we jump fast, I can hoop. A young boy comes in the barbershop, hey, that boy can play basketball. They define, that kid is defined, especially in our community for black boys. Like, if two boys walk into, the, the, into a barbershop, let's just say barbershop is the culture, spot of conversation between men, if two boys walk into the barbershop and one just scored 30 points and the other one just won a science fair, who are they going to pay more attention to? When I hit 30. 
right? But does that mean that this kid's genius is less genius than this kid's genius? Because playing the sport, there's a genius that comes with playing. Like you have to run, track a ball down. That's math. That's that's geometry. Everything is happening. A lot of things are happening at once. Physics. Like how fast someone's going, how fast the ball, just by looking at the trajectory of a quarterback's arm, when the time is going. Like, there's a lot of things that we're reading as body language that we're learning to read and things that we have to do within a game of football. And But there's also geniuses outside of that, right? We have this kid who's, you know, could be, I don't like to say the black version of white things because just because it doesn't exist, we don't need white examples because you can be the first to exist in that space. But in this case, the black Bill Nye, right? Or Neil deGrasse Tyson. If we don't put the emphasis on his genius, then he feels like his genius isn't invaluable. Is invaluable mm-hmm. to the people that he look at, look like him, the people in his community that he talked to the most. So therefore, he tries to come become something that he's not, because every kid wants to feel what value. So like the thing is to recognize the value that each individual has, and not start grouping the value of black men into just how they perform physically. Right? There was one point where to be a black man, an educated black man, was the sexiest thing to be. Like, you know, Renaissance, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, the poets, the writers, because yeah. at one point, black men couldn't read. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, we, they, we weren't allowed to read. So, ones that could read, that was special. Mm-hmm. Like, Damn, he could read. Right. Shit, you better have a baby with him. Yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, right. now, you know, now it's all about, you know, how fast we run, how high we jump, and the emphasis on we get paid for those things more than we get paid for this. Right? In a lot of ways. And there's more examples of that. So the psychology of it all is like, when we sign over that identity, it's like, how do we develop full human beings? Because once you let cultures start developing, your children, only thing they do, they're developing is um, athletes, players, guys who fit a role, a model. If you go on any team, the tight end room on every team is pretty much the same in personalities. Right? You're going to have the white dude that's a, the country white dude that has the, that, you know, that drives the truck. Right, you're gonna have the, the saucy white dude who dresses like us, right? Then you have the black dude that um, that's nice with it, and you even have the black dude that can't get right. Yeah. Right? Like he got the ability, but like, oh man, like <laughs> one day he's gonna click, one day he's gonna click. Almost every tight end room, that's the makeup of it. Quarterback rooms are pretty much the same. Right? That's why when they see a quarterback that doesn't look like what quarterbacks look like, they be like, oh, this guy doesn't play the game the way the quarterback, because they have an expectation for right. that. And this is when it really set in. I was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. We were running a play, and our running back broke his leg, right? And he was my friend. So I'm looking like, dang, he broke his leg. You know, he feel, feel some type of way. What they do, they move the huddle up 10 yards. Move the ball. Move the ball up 10. Like, the other, the running back that replaced him, feet, is right on his, the chalk of his body outline. <laughs> ten, ten, That's ten, real, ten, though. The heels of his feet. Yeah. So it's like we're training to... If someone get hurt, you're kind of happy. If Jason Witten tore his spleen or something, they had a spleen injury. Like, I don't know how you even do that. The whole week I'm playing, getting all the reps. Oh, I'm getting (laughs) all the reps. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my first week starting. I'm about to get in. Man, we get to Sunday, he come jogging out the tunnel. (laughs) You know, in some way, you're happy to have your teammate, but at the same time, you're like, man, this was my chance. Yeah. Right? So we psychologically, we built, you know, to just step over the man and, like, we're the next man up. So, and a lot of times guys can't turn that off in their households or other places that 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 that, that chemical makeup of the brain that is, because to play football, you almost have to be, you have to be kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 
I always say nobody walks in public and runs and busts each other's heads. Like nobody on t- aisle six is gonna run and you hit each other. You can't you, stiff nobody stiff on nobody for the um yeah. Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Bo Orberry, oh, don't mind. My salmon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my salmon. <laughs> you and your brother, I'll say, because I met Mike a couple times, talked to Mike a couple times. Y'all's uh disposition in life, where does that come from? Because y'all, bro, I tell you, I don't speak for y'all. Y'all are different. Y'all are different people. Your outfit right now. What's wrong with my outfit? Wicked, wicked Witch of the West boots. <laughs> First of all, these, are Doc, Jane, Mar- these no, are Doc Martens. No, these are probably no. one of the most popular shoes in the world. Okay. Up there with Jordans. I call them Wicked Witch of the West. You have on Jane Fonda socks, <laughs> high waters, a hunting vest. They're not high waters. They're balloon pants. <laughs> bro, bro, he, bro, you he can't dress what, either, though. What? I can't dress. He can't that's dress. That's the bad thing. I, I can't dress. To answer your question, so you think about this, reprogramming the human brain. Like, we've all been programmed, mm-hmm. right? Our brains are computers, but a lot of people are lacking software updates, right? Like, you could, your operating system, some people are operating, operating system is from 2005. Mm-hmm. Like, your outfit, right? That's a 2005 <laughs> yeah, I told you. fashion hey, outfit. We told you, them is trash. <laughs> Why right? y'all kill the six yeah, rings? Hey, you got them off of your Nike deal when you was playing? And they still trash. They so, were trash they, when you got them. Just because they're Jordans don't make them nice. <laughs> they, right? These ain't nice. No, they ain't nice. Right? But I'm just saying, right? But the, there's only three ways. You can't just slide through and hurt but my feelings. Scientifically, there's only three ways to be reprogrammed. What's that? Right? You have a life-changing experience, like a near-death experience, something like that. Just click someone dies, something life-changing. You have education reading, reading the education is on the other end, traveling. Right? You go to other places, you see how things happen, how things operate. Those are the only ways to really reprogram the mind through reading, education, just education reading. I believe that the books are windows to the world, right? Like you could go anywhere in the world reading books and then also engaging the imagination, right? Because the like my whole purpose in this entire thing, in my entire existence, for me, what it is is to eradicate the crisis of imagination, right? There's a crisis of imagination that's happening within the world, which keeps the world right where it is because people lack the imagination to see themselves in a different world or a world that's different from the one that they currently are in or see themselves existing in a, being different in a world, right? That's just a lack of imagination. They, that's just the, that's the, that's the one thing that separates humans from everything else. Everything we're doing, like we, is just, everything that a human being enjoys is the result of another person's Imagination. Where did this come from? That, but, but no, bro, you you from Texas. You a dude from Texas. Yeah, like, but like you, you like the samurai stuff and all. Like you and you and your. Where did this enlightening woke? I don't know what other words are. No, I think I like, just think I just think where I'm from does not limit where I could go, right? You know, just because I'm from Texas doesn't mean that my mind has to stay in Texas, right? So for me, like I. I believe in, I'm more of an Eastern philosophy, right? I believe nature becomes, comes before man. While our Western philosophy, we put man before nature, right? Like we make nature live with us. Like we just build a house and then like, let's move the tree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Instead of incorporating the tree into the design, right? We just like, let's, you know, that would take too much time. Let's just cut these trees down. And then most trees, they just take them to the landfill now. At one point, there was, that's, that's lumber, you know what I'm saying? That you could build whatever you're going to build out of it. But for me, I just don't believe that the world has to be the way that it is. And I, when I start realizing that the world is just one huge design project by multiple people who decided what the rules and laws would be, it's like, why can't I redesign the world? 
right? Like why, if they, you know, I want, like I want to build a city. I want to build a city in Texas, a whole city. And it's like, yo, if the Roman Empire built cities, I should be, you know, they even have, they even have um, bobcats and bulldozers, right? <laughs> they probably just had a bunch of brothers out there. Oh, they definitely had a bunch of brothers. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you know, that. a whole a water system above ground yeah. that you had to put it up high. They had to put it up high because back then warfare, the number one way warfare was to poison the water source. Mm -hmm. You poison the water source, then you ain't even got to fight the war. Yeah, right? if you visit uh, Spain, there are tons of Roman aqueducts. Yeah. That you go and visit as just sites to see. Pretty dope. Like, how the f did they carry two ton blocks 100 and 200, couple hundred years ago, however long it was ago? But how did they do that? Right? And just, and if they were able to do that with less of what we have now, because everything that exists today could have been built at any period of time, because no new materials or elements or have been introduced to the earth. Like everything they needed to make an iPhone was here when cavemen were roaming. Yeah. But what, what happens is the, the most fascinating thing is of mankind's curiosity and imagination of pushing it for, uh, further forward and forward and forward thinking. So they, we build on the ideas of our ancestors. Now we could do this. Like, like if I want to like, imagine how important a light bulb was. Like we was, it was well blubber at one point, right? Yeah. And then we got candles and then you have like a light bulb. Like one of the biggest inventions that no one ever talks about is the window screen. People were getting Western, they were getting bit by mosquitoes and all kinds of bugs. No one talks about the window screen, right? They they had they have central air because the window screen has always existed for us, and so it's something that we take for granted. And I think it's like you mentioned the light bulb and and how it evolved from well blubber and candles and those different things. I don't never. The, the reason your mind is interesting is because you actually think about that. And I was, and it comes to mind for me when Bill Belichick called you and you, you were on, I guess, a 10 day trip for illumination. What is it, Tokyo? Yeah, I was Kyoto, in, Os yeah. Osaka, right? Yeah, and, I went and, on a spiritual pilgrimage. And you were, and he said, and when I, at least I read, he said, yeah, it's, you, you're always somewhere. But even in this same sense, you said that. I didn't love everything I was doing as it pertained to football. He's like, I actually hated some of those things. Were there any parts or what were the parts about your career you were able to enjoy? You know, because you've even said, you find it funny that people think it's weird that you and your brother can be yourself. And you said, you think it's strange that you would want to be something you're not. Yes. Was football something you weren't? No, I, it's a part of me, but it's not all of me. Um, I think that's the thing about the, the full human being, right? Like, what's the full human experience? Like, I, there's, like, I like poetry. I like going to the ballet. I like getting high and going to the ballet. Like, that's one of my favorite things to do. Go listen to a symphony orchestra, get high, just go listen to the symphony orchestra, play dress nice with my wife, you know, take my daughter to these things too so that she could see the possibilities of all the arts. You know, we go see the Nutcracker and she's like, Daddy, nobody's up there that looks like me. You could be up there. If you want to do that, like, you know what I'm saying? But the thing is introducing her to all the possibilities. Like, we're an art family. We're not a sports family, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, our household is a, the arts, you know, and I take a lot of pride. I'm in charge of the entire family's imagination. I take it very seriously. For my wife, for my daughter, like, you know, they, my wife watched a lot of the, the murder mysteries and all the people getting killed. I'm like, baby, all right, cool. You need, you know, let's read something more. <laughs> let's, right. let's keep the imagination in a positive place because that could take right. your imagination on a whole different journey. We can't just keep watching Snap. 
Yeah, I woke I, up. I had to stop snapping my house. I woke up at three in the morning and then she stabbed her husband in the back while he was sleeping. <laughs> Dang, girl. <laughs> uh, so what happened was, so my last year in the league, I got hurt. I had torn, I had torn rotator cuff. It's still torn right now, actually, and, I, uh, and a torn labrum. It got worse when I was when I was with the Packers. And I went this whole thing. The Packers tried to sue me. Tom Brady called me. I didn't want to play. I didn't want to play. Um, I was like, man, I just want to go through what I'm doing, try to get surgery, and come back and play another year. Then Tom was like, is it the shoulder that you hurt last year? Can you play? I was like, man, because Green Bay also didn't do a Toradol shot. They didn't do the Toradol shot. So the only way you could really play with the torn rotator cuff or labrum is to have a Toradol shot. So otherwise, you're just playing through the pain, and it gets worse and worse and worse as you go. So Tom calls me. I got like five t calls from teams. I'm like, I'm not playing. And Tom calls me. He's like, how you doing, bud? It's like, I'm chilling. It's like, what's up? He's like, can you play? It's like, I, I can if, with the right system. And he was like, if we could put you on a program. Because the year before, when I got hurt, I played like shit against the, um, the Los Angeles Rams. Mm. And they kept bull rushing. But I had a, a high ankle sprain and a torn ro a rotator cuff on the same side. So anytime right. I was pass protection, they were just running. Ah, I can't, I can't grab him. Hill, can't twist him. I'm just, and then Bill comes in one day. I'm pissed off. And he comes in to me. Bill goes, hey, Marty. Can I talk to you for a second? I was like, yeah. He was like, playing like shit. <laughs> God damn, Bill. <laughs> it's like, I was like, Bill, look, I got a third degree high ankle sprain, torn rotator cuff. I should probably be on IR. I should, because you know, you get defensive. You're like, right. oh, there's multiple reasons. Well, I know I play like shit. <laughs> then he's like, hey, 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 I don't need you. Y'all frustrated. He's like, what can we do? He's the first coach I, first coach that asked me, ever asked me this. What can we do? to make sure that you're able to perform on Sunday. He's like, why don't you take the meetings off this morning and go talk to the training staff, the weight room, and y'all come up with a plan. So I was like, well, that's when I started boxing. Instead of doing like certain things just to keep the power in my arms, we'd do boxing and I'd do swimming on Wednesdays, like real hard workouts, but stuff to keep it fluid. And then they would hold my pitch count in the run games at practice because they knew I, I, could, I could run block. You know, that's one of the things I've, you know, I could have been. You know, I'm like Walter Jones. I'm like Walter Jones. You know what I'm saying? You ain't Walter Jones, but we know what you're saying. <laughs> hey, Walter Jones like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now that we're about halfway through the football season, hopefully you've got an idea how teams stack up against one another. So why not add a little fun into the mix? Today's video sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is dishing out an awesome offer for all their new customers. All new customers need to do is sign up using promo code PIVOT, bet $5 on any pregame money line wager, and receive an additional $200 in free bets if your bet cashes. That's right. New customers who bet at least $5 on any team to win straight up will get an additional $200 in free bets if their bet hits. Plus, with same-game parlays, you can combine multiple bets on the same game to give yourself a shot of even bigger winnings all season long. For those in states where sports betting is not yet available, don't forget about DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they have been innovating even more ways to win some cash this football season. And don't forget, the basketball season tips off soon, and DraftKings has tons of ways for you to get in on that action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code PIVOT and receive $200 in free bets if their pregame Moneyline bet hits after placing a $5 wager. That's promo code PIVOT only at DraftKings Sportsbook. But even in New England, the run game, come on now, practice run game? 
That's against the air, against the second team guys. That's nothing. At the running back position, <laughs> I'm going against the second defense in who wants to play. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like he can't, they they chucking and jiving out there. They try, you know. <laughs> I used to hate running backs who don't dip and slip. I hate a running back that don't dip and slip. Dip I think that's slip. a dip and slip to set up the block. Like oh, yeah, you, you got to press it. Press and press. A lot of running that's backs don't know how to do thing. that. Right, right. The kid in Cleveland, he does that so well. He's on the top. Yes, and yeah. that's an extra five yards, three yards, three to five yards rushing just doing that because now he got peek inside. I could capture the edge. But most running backs, they just run. Like, bro, like, come on, man. You're just running outside. He going outside? Like, let's read the defense. But anyway, so I go to this last year. Then I tear my hamstring off the bone. Mm. And then I played and with the torn hamstring on the bone. And it's like, oh, man, this ain't right. You know what I'm saying? Then I play again. And then at this point, though, I'm still going through everything with the Packers or whatnot. But we get back, and I tell Bill, I'm like, Bill, look, I can't play. He's like, oh, it's your hamstring? He's like, what not you just do? I was like, nah, it's something different. This was my first year I ever, the first injury I ever had that I felt like no one could do anything about. Or I played through, I played with no MCL, high ankle sprain, torn right toe cuff, but I had never played with a broken spirit. Mm. My spirit was broken. So there I was like, coach, I just need to go. And I was, so I went home, I went home. He's like, all right, we put you on IR for the shoulder or whatnot. So I went home for my broken spirit. And from there, you know, at first, you know, the first couple of days, you're just kind of like, oh, you know, did I make the right decision, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started back, for me, art therapy was a big thing. I started back painting and drawing again. Like I wasn't painting as, I always painted and drawn. Like I had art shows when I was playing for the Cowboys, right? I used to travel with my, I used to be in an alternative hip hop group called the Moonshine Kids. And we used to play all over Dallas and when I, while I was playing for the Cowboys. So I doing this, then I stumbled around this box of trinkets and, and old DVDs were all like Hayao Miyazaki films and all these Japanese things. And I go upstairs, I was like, babe, I need to go, I need to, go to Japan. And she was like, what you gonna go to Japan? I was like, I was just calling me right now. I just feel like I need to go there. So my brother had been there, so I called Mike because the first house will go as a brother's trip. Like, yo, let, let me, but then he started inviting all my other brothers and sisters. And I was just like, I'm gonna go by myself. <laughs> That's like, I know you're gonna hijack the trip. It's a family vacation. Now I'm trying to go on some enlightenment. I'm trying to go sit in the pyramid. I'm gonna sit on top of the mountain with you, brother, and have tea, go do a Japanese tea ceremony, right? You know, so my wife, and she had a college roommate was a travel agent. And so we got all the stuff I wanted to do. So I flew to Japan, I went on there for 10 days by myself. And, you know, I'm going over to Japan and I meet this lady named Miho. And I still email Miho every once in a while now. And I remember one day at Packers practice, I took like 35,000 steps and I was pissed off. Because it's like, yo, why am I taking 35,000 steps? I'm doing first team, second team, and third team reps. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody, like, you know, the average practice for me is like 15,000 steps. You know what I'm saying? I always wear my watch at practice just to make sure what they're paying me matches my output. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good, you, yeah. you, you actually said you could feel the racism in Green Bay. And you mentioned the Packers a lot. I mean, what else you gonna do in Green Bay? Milwaukee is the most segregated places in the, one of the segregated places in the country. Like there's racism, like there's racism in a lot of places that you play football in. Yeah. But like there's other places like where it's just not, you know, they're just not who they are as people. Like they're not, they're not gonna accept that or whatnot. But yeah, I, I said that you're more likely to find a chupacabra than a negro and um and and Green Bay that didn't play for the team. Yeah. So yeah, so I go to Japan and I meet this lady in Miho, and then Miho from like it's not even 10 a.m. yet, and we took 30,000 steps. And I'm looking at my watch like, dang. And I go to Miho, I was like, dang, Miho, we took 30,000 steps already. And then she's like, yes, Mari-san. 
Yes, I'm taking the long way because I always take notebooks everywhere I go to write everything down that I see or think or whatnot. So I'm just journaling my entire trip, sketching or whatnot. She's like, oh, you take all the notes and ask fascinating questions. So I want to show you more. Then I start thinking about the 30,000 steps because I took probably 20,000 more steps that day. Then I realized the 30,000 steps wasn't the problem. It's the direction that those 30,000 steps were headed in. Like I was willing to take 50,000 steps when I was doing something I was fully encompassed and present in. And then other places, 30,000 steps, like, dang, what are, we, what are we doing? It's like taking your kids for a walk and they want to stop the walk early. Or whoever, if you're dating somebody, you'd be like, let's go walk. And they'd be like, all right, I'm tired. You'd be like, dang, we're just not getting into the good part of the woods. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I wanted to show you the waterfall right there over the peak. Oh, we're going to go back now? So I, I, so I asked Miho, we go out, and Miho's like, oh, Marty said, what you want to eat? You like chicken? I was like, Miho, where I'm from, people who look like me love chicken. We eat chicken wings. I like them fried. I like chicken. Now, chicken's a good thing. Because at this point, the day before, I tried 21 new pieces of fish I'd never had before. So like my stomach, I was like, yeah, chicken sounds great. So Miho takes me to have chicken, and we get there, we have everything but the chicken parts I eat. Yeah, chicken beak, chicken gizzard. I'm like, she's like, try it. I'm like, Miho, this is all the parts of the chicken that my people don't eat. <laughs> so, but while I'm sitting there, I'm talking to Miho, I was like, Miho, I'm fascinated by this because she's so happy the whole day. And I was like, Miho, how often do you do this? Oh, she said, oh, I try to do it every day, Marty-san. I love it. I love everything about it. I love meeting new people. I love showing people Japan. I love answering questions. I love walking. I love the weather. I love it all. I love eating at places. I'm like, damn, you actually love everything. She's like, yeah. I was like, what about your husband? She's like, oh, he's at work. I try to be here. I go see my mom. And she's like, and she made me this uh, origami cube and it has a penny in it because it showed that the price of friendship is, uh, is priceless. Friendship is priceless. And uh, so while I was walking with her after that, I was like, dang. I want what she had. I want to do something where every day, no matter what part of it I'm doing, I love it. I want to love it all. Now, and, and then after that, I got on a plane. When I was on a plane on my way back to Japan, I wrote my retirement note. And I retired when I got back from Japan. And I said I was going to, be, I was going to make something every single day of my life for the rest of my life. Like I wasn't going to go a day where I wasn't making. And um, I retired to make. So I, I opened my studio. I asked my wife, I said, baby, where you want to live? Because I feel like when we play, they don't get a decision in where we go, mm-hmm. right? They have to go wherever we play. But this time, I'm like, yo, baby, where y'all got, where you want to go? And she's like, LA. I was like, great, because I have, you know, animation. She had all her friends in LA, so we moved to LA. We sold our house in Chicago, and we moved to LA, bought a house in LA, and I opened up my studio in Burbank. So I opened up my first design and um, creative agency, the imagination agency in in Burbank and um, I started meeting with Disney and like, you know, doing these things. So I started doing stuff at Nickelodeon. I won some awards at Disney for a commercial we did. And then I started doing like animation, animated pieces. My first Disney thing was a 10 second animated piece that I did, or 15 second animated piece I did that's like a bumper for the Disney XD channel of a little brown girl playing football. And um, so from there, you know, they kept in contact and, you know, I was set up meetings at DreamWorks. I was on DreamWorks campus. I was, and while I was playing football, I was job shadowing a guy named Keith Dawkins at Nickelodeon. So I would, in my off season, I would go to LA and train so I could job shadow and kind of learn the different things. I'd be in different places and different meetings and things like that. So now I got a, now I got a full, my, my Disney series comes out in 2024, 50 episodes. So I'm executive producing, doing voiceovers and creatively directing that. So we have the show on Disney coming out. But then out there, I've, I've written six children's books. Yeah. I made I the two, the two interactive children book apps. I did multiple animated um, pieces. Um, I have a new video game that's coming out next, next, um, next summer. I built a video game I've been working on for the last three years. 
And then I started, um, right now I'm doing a lot of more educational games, right? Because our, our design philosophy here is to design a more playful life. Like we want to make the world a more playful place. And the sophisticated play design philosophy is my philosophy that I developed over the last several years of designing. Because when I first retired, I started writing ads. I was writing ads and um, doing a lot of stuff. Like I would be in Cannes, uh, Ad Week, and like doing keynotes on how advertisements should work. And then I started doing a sketch comedy on a complex and Yahoo show. But I didn't really like being on TV. I don't like to have to be the same place every Thursday doing the same thing every Thursday. Some Thursdays, I might just want to go watch my bees. <laughs> <laughs> bro, bro, this <laughs> and you told us about staying at bees. Talking about bumblebees. See, bro, some, some people might think we talking about some, some oh, action. Nah, I, you talking about real bumblebees? You like to look at bumblebees? I've learned more from staring at nature than I ever learned from staring at man. But let me just—I gotta ask you. <laughs> RC said, "Afraid to say, the way your mind works, did that hurt your career?" One thousand percent. Because you and your brother, like y'all, y'all rubbed me the wrong way. I probably lost, <laughs> I probably lost about forty million dollars because of my mindset. How was that? Just because, like, one thing that teams don't want is an intelligent brother. That's not what they're looking for. When a young black receiver made a, a mistake or something, like you know, a guy, they would chew them out the entire meeting. Like, oh, you can't get right. You can't do this or do this. When a White receiver does the same thing. It's like, all right, guys, we got this. We're going to get this. Like, good job, good effort. We can get these other things figured out. Right? So I, this starts to bother me. So I start calling the coach out when he start making mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, coach, they ain't right. We can't do that because the system is designed to do this. And, and he keep making these mistakes. And then he comes to me before meetings like, hey, you know, I'm going to make some mistakes today. Can you not correct me or maybe pull me to the side after the meeting? And I was like, why don't you treat the, the, the black players like that in the meeting? That's one thing I loved about Bill Belichick. He didn't give a fuck if he's a janitor or Tom Brady. He don't give a shit. It's easy to play for a guy like that. I had one good year in the NFL, and that was when I played for the Patriots. Oh, actually, I had two. I loved playing for the Giants. The Giants had the best food I ever had at any place ever. I used to go up there on Tuesdays just to eat. <laughs> Get that free meal. Oh, I would be up there first breakfast and lunch. <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, just hanging out at the facility. I, I watch a film. Yeah, <laughs> you got this good ass food up there, you know what I'm saying? And that was the first place where like you ate with the like the GM would be in the cafeteria. Everybody ate, all the staff and team ate together. So I got a lot of relationships with people throughout the building, not just the teammates. Like in Dallas, my biggest issue in Dallas was I wasn't willing up to become, I wasn't willing enough to give who I, give up who I am to become who they wanted me to be, right? What they wanted me to be is not who I saw myself being. So there's all this push and pull back and forth about as a human, not just a player, but like as a person, right? I'm not gonna, and then I almost retired my third year in the league. I didn't go to work one day. I just didn't go to work. I told them too, I told them the day before, I was like, I ain't coming back tomorrow. <laughs> they you thought I was- do that. Shit, why not? They paying you. Well, I take. I told the same thing my agent said. I said, "Well, tell them to take the check." Mm -mm. I'm not playing no more. I didn't go to work. They called me. They kept calling me. I was like, "I don't work for y'all no more." <laughs> <laughs> but you do. No, I quit. <laughs> you didn't quit. You went back. No, I quit. Only reason I went. What back made you go back then? So it was a couple days. It was like it was a couple conversations that had to happen to get me to go back first. First thing they did, they had the black coach call me. Of course. So Skip Pete called me. And Skip Pete called me, hey, Martellus, what you doing? It's like, man, Marty B. I'm like, hey, coach, I'm at the crib chilling. 
I'm saying? I can see y'all. I can see the practice facility from right here. <laughs> y'all look like y'all working hard. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, like, hey, man, just come back. And I'll tell you, the person that really got me to come back, the reason why I continued to play was John Kittner. John Kittner. He's one of my favorite people. Good John Kittner called me. First, they sent the team psychologist, the psychologist to the house. And my wife, my wife, I don't know if we were married or dating at this time. Um, but she had talking to her too. She was always been my like my kryptonite. Like, all right, baby, just you know, calm down for like teams used to call her when they had issues with me. Yeah. Hey, hey, Sicky, can you talk to Marty? Uh, all right, yeah. What's up, babe? She called me before the game. Why are you calling? You know I'm about to go out and play right now. That's cool. But yeah, so I I didn't go. I ended up um talking to Skip Pete. Then my agent he was like, man, you can't, they're gonna have to do. I was like, hey, what do they gotta do with the money? Cause at this time, like for me, I've always felt like football wasn't where I was gonna make my money, right? It was actually my plan B, right? Like my original plan was I was gonna be go work at NASA. Like I wanted to go, like I was really interested in like becoming an astronaut. I'm from Texas, Houston, NASA. Yep. I grew up, I was you know, fascinated with space. I'm not as fascinated as I once was with it. And even though the space race is happening, what happens, no one looks like us is in a space race. That's a problem. They didn't want us on a bus. When they start filling up those spaceships and they destroy the world because they don't care about climate change and they just burning everything down, they think they're gonna last space for us? We're gonna have to sit at the back of the spaceship. <laughs> we got the back of the shuttle. <laughs> hey, hey, no seatbelts. No seatbelts. Hey, no. <laughs> hey, we got the hey, we got the share oxygen mask. <laughs> Well, hey, <laughs> speaking of the back of the spaceship, I mean, one, you can't fit on a spaceship. No, they had to make it special. Be. It had to be a special made spaceship. When you wrote um, Dear Black Boy, yeah. it was on the hills of Philando uh, Castile, uh, Austin also Sterling. Austin Sterling. I'm from, I live in Baton Rouge. I'm from uh, Louisiana. And that was, you know, that was something that touched me a ton. You used your gifts uh, to reach out to the younger generation of men that looked like you. Why has that, because you spoke out while you played in the league, why has that always been something you were so willing to do when many others won't? Because it's right. I'm a man of principle, like, you know, integrity. Like, I like, and I value the well-being of humans as a species, right? Like, it's important for the world to be better, selfishly, for my daughter, right? I put people in two groups. You even making the world a better place for my daughter, or you making a create more problems for my daughter and her peers to have to solve in the future, right? How many problems can I solve that my daughter wouldn't have to solve, right, to make the world a better place for her, your children, all our children, right, where they could go around? So with Dear Black Boy, what happened was, like, when we were protesting, you know, we first we was taking a knee. And first it was only, like, six of us. It wasn't that many people. People don't really remember that. But, like, when we first started protesting, um, and I wrote the original letter for behalf of the entire league, that was like this big phone call and I wrote the PR letter for the entire team, for the entire league, for all players, but then they didn't like my language, they thought it was too strong. <laughs> but it was very poetic, right? But I ended up rewriting it and using it when I played for the Packers, because the Packers wanted a letter, I ended up like rewriting my letters and released it as a statement for the Packers. But even then, I remember, I think it was Jordy Nelson had a problem with me saying something about prisons. And he was like, oh, you know, bad people are prisons. Like, I'm like, but yeah, there's some people in prison who, you know, like, they're still humans, right? Whatever it is, like people have families and family members in prison. Like, you know, so it's like there needs to be a form of reform. What happens when we protest, I told my brother one time after taking a knee, I was like, 
I don't think I want to take a knee no more. I just feel like it's just getting redundant. We're already taking, taking a knee. What's next? I feel like, for me, if you think about when things were really happening, like Nina Simone used her music as part of the, as part of the civil rights movement, right? So I think there's, there's many parts of it. Everybody's not a marcher, mm-hmm. right? You need organizers. You need people to... There's so many different ways to, to assess and attack the problem or, you know, create, you know, momentum for the problem. So at that point, I was like, well... My strongest thing is my pen. Like I'm really good at writing, I'm really good at drawing. So I started doing political cartoons. So I wrote this, I did this political cartoon for ESPN, um, the mag that was, um, that treated, that showed the NFL as players as slaves. I like rewrote the slave certificate and like players signing players, coaches signing players and team signing players and like buying slaves. Cause the, the, a lot of the, the, um, the draft the way that they measure us and do all that, that's derivative of slave trade. And slave trade was the first stock market, right? Like the first stock market was built on the back of slaves and shipping slaves, moving slaves. And that's why a lot of things, they didn't want too many slaves to pay the price of the slave. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a whole thing. And so for me, I just felt like art. So when I started doing a political cartoon, so I started doing political cartoons and I started writing more and I felt like there was different ways to address the situation. So, um, and then after talking to, I was talking to Angela Davis one morning over coffee and um, we were talking about James Baldwin because James Baldwin to me, I feel like is the best writer. Mm-hmm. Not the best storyteller, but just like the best writer. I think the best storyteller is Roald Dahl. The way that James Baldwin controls your breathing on the page without being in the room. Like you read at the pace that he wants because the way he uses punctuation, the way he uses sentences, the way he spaces, like it's a, it's a whole experience reading James Baldwin. And, um, and when I thought about myself, I think of myself in the space of more of a James Baldwin than, you know, a front of the line, you know, guy screaming with protests in that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we need both. We need writers. We need organizers. We need city planners. Like, it's a, the, what people are fighting, like, when they look at racism, they're attacking, you know, racism, like, head on when racism is a virus that's throughout the infrastructure they design because the infrastructure of America was designed to not let a black race in it. We only consider three-fourths of human being at one person. Mm-hmm. It's the only place where it's illegal for a group of people to not read for 200 years. Mm-hmm. Like, think about how far behind they push you in education, right? And then you, and we're still feeling the effects of that because now they wouldn't let us go to their school, so now we gotta learn how to read just to teach others how to read, right? right? So like, to be black and educated is a huge thing. Like, it's amazing to be black and educated Right in a in a country that didn't want you to be educated at all, and right, and still the remnants of that structure and that infrastructure are still in place that are still hindering the education. Right, you know, like you think about the um, the school to prison pipeline, like the way that's designed, the way our schools are, the economics of how they're developing schools, and what schools are teaching, the books. And if you go to like you, I read a lot of schools. You go to schools that's predominantly black and Hispanic or minority. Just the entire environment from cages to, it feels like you're in the jail. There's no windows. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's really, you might as well be in a prison. And so you had, you had that and then you also, the, the Hey AJ series. Yeah, uh, so I wrote Dear Black Boy as okay. a poem because I didn't know when I was watching the Arthur Sterling thing, which I usually don't even watch those things. And like, what do you tell a young black boy, right, at this time? And that's why I wrote Dear Black Boy. It was a letter of encouragement to black boys all over the world. Like, look, you're not your legs, you're not your strength, you're more than two points, right? Your goals are worth more than two points, you know? And then um, your dreams are worth more than two points, you know? So it says, it, like, it has things like, 
exercise, black boy, exercise. Exercise for your right to speak your mind, to pursue happiness, to, you know what I'm saying, to seek prosperity. You know, all these moments of time and things and also telling the stories like millions have marched, millions have, died, millions have fought, millions have died. For these rights that we have. So like when someone would be like, I don't want to read. Well, you pretty much just stepping on your ancestors, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times people, there are people, and not just today, but in other countries, people who died for opportunity to read, we just walk past books like they ain't nothing. <laughs> right, yeah. I used to give books for um, Christmas gifts, like just having a conversation with them. Man, those books are like, so I'm, I take my books and donate it to a school. They still brand new. <laughs> well, like, they don't even look at the page, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So, um, so did, but hey, AJ came down to, like I, a lot of my characters are young black girls. Cause my, I'm a, I'm a girl dad. Mm -hmm. My brother had three girls. So I grew up around girls. Like I actually, I feel like I write better for girls than I do for boys. Like I have a better understanding for girls. Cause if you look at the play type, so there's seven different play types, psychological um, play types for individuals, right? And I think people have a primary and a, and a secondary. And you usually choose your secondary when you don't have access to your primary. So you see kids, some kids are organizers. Like they like to clean and organize things. There's some kids who, like they like to be in charge. Like that's just, they like to play games where they're like the boss and doing things like that. Then you have those kids who are like adventurers want to be outside running around, but there's like so different play types. But girls use more play types than boys. Boys are usually fixated on one thing, right? They just play basketball. I was on the playground. I spent a lot of time on the playground researching, but just really one of my favorite sounds is children that play. Like I love the sound of like, yay, woo. Like there's just, I just listen to what they're playing, how they're playing it. And my daughter is playing. So when I'm on the playground, say boys have a basketball. For the whole hour, all they do is shoot the basketball and play the basketball. The girls had the same basketball, but they shot the basketball for 10 minutes, then the basketball became dodgeball, then it became four square. Then next thing you know, the ball, they didn't use the ball at all. You know what I'm saying? The ball was just, they were just sitting on the ball. And then they just played so many different games in that same hour versus what the boys did. And you try to, you try to design for these play experiences. The problem with the world is we don't play enough. Like we lost our playful spirits. And people forget how to play and engage in play. And play is usually with no goals intended. A human being is the most human when they're at play, right? And we're playful people. We're playful creatures. Like we, you joke around, huh? We all, what? That's, that's right up his alley. That's right up his alley. But he's a playful person. A playful yeah. person yeah. will have a more, a playful mind is the most agile mind. Someone who's playful can learn more things than someone who's less playful just because their mind is just ready to jump around and bounce around and do things. Mm -hmm. So like conversation with him, he probably has more agility in conversation to bounce from one place to another place because he has such a playful spirit. Yeah. Well, now it has to come some knowledge in there too. So <laughs> he versatile. Yeah. No, I, I know. Versatility. You, <laughs> but no, just listen to you, bro. Like uh, you said, brought up James Ball when you brought up like, I think Dick Gregory. I love Dick Gregory because he had comedy and sincerity and points, a, a huge point of view. I love Dick Gregory. He's but, one of my favorite people. I'm just saying that's what strikes me um, with Dr. Umar. You know what I'm saying? Like, people, as yeah. you talk, I'm, I'm listening because I, I love that, that, that angle. Do you want, do you, uh, is it a purposeful articulation of yourself that you want to, you want to push that, you want to push the narrative of equality like, like the guys you're talking about, the Dick Gregory, well, the James Baldwin, the, the strong black men that pushed that stuff out. Well, no, not necessarily. I think the difference between me and them is that I'm a designer. I'm trying to design a better world. Like, I can make these things. You know, if I want a better school, I can make the school. You know what I'm saying? Like, I design these things where I think they needed to be the catalyst of voice and get other people around them to do these things that they're talking about. I do the things that I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? So when I think of a more playful world, I'm not just don't think of black people. 
I think of everybody playing together, right? When I first started my work, it was a, an imagination agency. A lot of it was about representation. Like, I want to put black kids in as many spaces as possible. Like, I wrote, hey, hey, AJ, because when my daughter was born, I started reading all these books, and I realized that none of the books were, like, characters that looked like her. Or they didn't use the language or tell the story about the kid that I wanted. Like, a lot of our books focus on black is the antagonist. The I love my hair. I love my skin. I like me, self-confidence. I never let, met a kid in the children's book age who didn't love themselves. Right, you grow to not love yourself as the world tells you that you're not something or not this, but every kid <laughs> thinks they're awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't matter what it is. My daughter does something one time, I'm the best. I'm the best daddy. I'm like, girl, like, I ain't gonna lie, that time was good, but can you do it again and again and again and again? You know what I'm saying? So, but like, so for me, I strictly focus on adventure, mm -hmm. right? Dear Black Boy was an anomaly in my work because it had a focus on the, the Dear Black Boy, but it was a letter directly to black boys. But even that story, I still focus on the race to freedom. But when I talk about the race to freedom and Dear Black Boys, the freedom of self, freedom of self-expression, the freedom to be whatever it is that you want to be versus this idea of what we think, you know, free of society. Like we, the most ultimate free man, I think everything that, what every human being actually wants is the ability to be themselves without the fear of being judged. Yeah. Marty, we uh we talked about so much, man. I know we got to rap. So much depth to you. Uh, you know, we we spoke about the artists, spoke about your music, the author, the athlete, um, father, you know, husband, brother, you know, so many different things. What would you say has been your biggest pivot in life? And we can rap with that. His whole life is a pivot. I think it's perspective. I think if you change your perspective, you change your life. So like, you know, a lot of times the way we look at things just need to pivot, right? Or just pivot a point of view and then you'll see it totally different. Like my daughter, like just for, I know this is a random story, right? But my daughter like asked me about church. Like my mom goes to church or whatever, but I don't go to church. I'm not a church guy, right? And um, so my daughter asked me, she was like, oh dad, I want to go, we should go to church. I was like, I ain't going to church. If you want to go to church, go with your grandma. Right, and then, and then she goes, Grandma does Jesus and like, you know, just talking like kids, she ate, you know, Grandma talks about Jesus and you know, these things. I was like, look, my only thing is, if you want to learn about, you want to go to church or choose a religion, learn about all the religions before you make your decision, right? We, I'll learn with you. Like, we'll sit down, we'll read about Buddhism, we'll read about Shintoism, Hinduism, baptism, Christianity, and then from there, you choose which one you think best fits the perspective of your mind. Don't just be pushed into the religion because your grandmother's doing it, yeah. right? And I told my mom, and she's like, dang, son, I did a good job raising you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. just like, it's just one of those things. So like, not, let's learn about all of them. And then, because for me, I think my philosophy, Tomonoshi, which is my design philosophy, but also my life philosophy, is rooted in all several different parts of things that I like, Tom right? Tomiyoshi? Like, Tomonoshi. Right, it's a it's a derivative of uh, tomodachi, which means um, friends. So like you could say my tomo, my dachi in Japanese, or uh, tenoshi, which means entertainment. So I just made my own word up so I could own it, which I made tomonoshi, which means fun friend. So like um, basically, like all the products we have and the things that I create, or is the idea as a kid is like you have that fun friend who you always want to go by the house that had all the cool stuff, right? Like, yeah. oh man, he got all the games, he got all the toys, like, that's your fun friend, you know? So that's how I look at the products that we make, we want to be the fun friend. So if you own our products, you too can be seen as the fun friend. 
No, your homeboys ain't got Tomonoshi. They ain't got they, it. They ain't got it. <laughs> they Nintendo kids. <laughs> they Nintendo kids, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like Tomonoshi philosophy, which is, you know, the design, products, experience, and moments is that engage with the user's imagination, right? Like how can we engage your imagination? So um, so my pivot is always, is, I think the my biggest pivot is perspective, like to have more of an understanding. And then it always is a pivot because the more I travel, the more I re read, the more I realize that I don't know nothing at all. And that's one reason I like to be surrounded by books because it reminds me how much I don't know, right? And how much I could know. I think my biggest pivot has always been perspective on moments and things like that. Before we got here, even driving over, we just kept, I was like, man, this is going to be dope. I was like, I don't know where the hell it's going to go. I was like, but it's going to be, it's going to be something that's different for our viewers, our subscribers, because they do see football players. And whenever we put one of y'all big jokers on the, on the graphic, they come and they expect to hear about football and they expect to hear about all of us looking at that life as the only thing. And I think your, your perspective is so interesting because it's not that. We appreciate you being honest. We appreciate you being open, but that's all you've ever been. And so, man, that's why you were a big get for the pivot, bro. And we appreciate you, man. Appreciate you letting into, yeah. into your space. Hold up. Limitless. Biggest to me, God, pinning it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Biggest to me, God, pinning it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up.